epic tales of mystery and magic to accounts of battle and empire from the verses of ancient poets to the masterpieces of our times a light on literature brings to life China's literary heritage and a look at the world in a new light On today's A Light on Literature, we continue by presenting the book Two Years in the Forbidden City by Princess De Lin. Today, Ma Lin narrates the second part of the 15th chapter titled The Mid-Autumn Festival. Previously, the author discussed two celebrations. One was the traditional Chinese Mid-Autumn Festival, also known as the Moon Festival. And the other was an anniversary marking the start of the Manchu dynasty. Today, we will hear discussions about portrait painting, Russian circus performances, and the making of winter clothing. One day. Whilst attending to these schools, I happened to knock the top off one of the old ones, which was Her Majesty's particular favorite. I dared not go and tell Her Majesty what had happened, and one of the court ladies suggested throwing the thing away altogether and saying nothing about it, as Her Majesty would not be likely to find it out, having so many of them. However, I finally decided to go and tell Her Majesty about it, and take a punishment if necessary. For a wonder, Her Majesty did not make much bother about it. She said, "Well, it was quite an old one in any case, and、um, the top was ready to drop off at any time. It so happens that you were the one to wipe it, and of course, it came off. It can't be helped." I told Her Majesty that I was very much ashamed at being so careless, especially as I knew it was one of her favorites, and there the matter ended. All the rest of the court ladies were in the waiting room and were anxious to know how I would get out of it. And when I told them, they said that had it been any of them, there would have been a fine row. They laughed and said. It must be nice to be a favorite, which made me feel very uncomfortable. I told the young empress exactly what had happened, and she said it was quite right to tell Her Majesty the truth, and told me to be very careful as there was much jealousy going on. At the beginning of the ninth moon, the chrysanthemums commenced to bud, and it was the duty of the ladies of the court to go and trim them each day by cutting away all the buds except one on each stalk. This trimming gives the flower a better chance of developing, a much larger blossom being the result. Even Her Majesty would help with this work. She was very particular about these plants, and would not allow any of us to meddle with them if our hands were not perfectly cool, as to touch them with hot hands would cause the leaves to shrivel up. These flowers are generally in full bloom about the end of the ninth moon, or beginning of the tenth moon. 
Her Majesty had a wonderful gift of being able to tell what kind of flower would bloom from each separate plant, even before the buds appeared. She would say, This is going to be a red flower. And we would place a bamboo stick in the flower pot with the name written on it. Then another, Her Majesty would declare to be a white one, and we would place a similar bamboo stick in the flower pot with the description, and so on. Her Majesty said, This is your first year at the palace, and no doubt you are surprised at what you have just seen and heard me say, but I have never yet made a mistake, for you will see when the flowers commence to bloom. It was a fact, as everything turned out exactly as she had predicted. None of us ever knew how she was able to distinguish one from the other, but she was always right. I did once ask her to explain how she was able to tell, but she answered that it was a secret. All this time the portrait was proceeding very slowly, and one day Her Majesty asked me how long I thought it would be before it was finished and what the custom in Europe was as regards remuneration for such a portrait. I replied that it was customary to pay very handsomely, but she would not hear of such a suggestion, saying that in China it was not the custom, and that it would be regarded as an insult to offer money for such a service. She suggested decorating Miss Carl as a reward for her services, which she considered would be appreciated far more than a money present. There was nothing for me to say at this time, but I was determined to mention the matter again when a favorable opportunity occurred. During the ninth moon, a Russian circus visited Peking, and of course everybody talked of little else. Her Majesty, hearing so much talk about this circus, asked what it was like. And after we had explained to her, she became very interested and said that she would like to see it. My mother thought it would be a good idea to have the circus brought up to the summer palace where they could perform. So she asked Her Majesty whether this might be done. Her Majesty was delighted with the idea, and arrangements were accordingly made for the performance. While everything was being fixed, the people belonging to the circus and the animals were quartered near our own house, and we had to feed them at our own expense. However, we wanted to show Her Majesty what a circus was like, so the expense did not matter. It took them two days to erect the tent, and make all necessary preparations. And during this time, Her Majesty received the reports as to what was being done and the progress they were making. The day before the performance, we noticed that Her Majesty, on coming from her audience, looked very angry. And on our inquiring what was the matter, she informed my mother and myself that some censors had raised objections against having the circus in the palace grounds, as there had never been anything of this kind allowed before, and they had begged Her Majesty to give up the idea. Her Majesty was very angry and said, You see how much power I have here. 
I cannot even have a circus without somebody raising objections. I think we had better pay them something and let them go away. Of course, we agreed to anything she thought best. After considering for a time, Her Majesty jumped up and said, They have the tent up already. They will talk just the same whether we have the circus or not. I will have it anyway. Ever wondered what sets China apart from the rest of the world? Do you want to know how China really works? How is China of the past different from the present? Get all the answers to your questions by visiting China Plus Audiobooks. Access a whole new world of audiobooks on our website at chinaplus.cri.cn slash podcast. Explore the philosophy, spirit, and story of the Chinese people. So the performance duly took place and Her Majesty and all the court were delighted. One item consisted of a young girl walking and dancing on a large globe. This especially pleased Her Majesty, and she insisted on the performance being repeated several times. Another item of interest was the trapeze act. Of course, nobody present, with the exception of my mother, sister, and myself, had ever seen a circus performance before, and Her Majesty was very much afraid that the man would fall from the trapeze and kill himself. Another thing which interested Her Majesty was the bare back riding, which she thought simply wonderful. The only objection to the whole show, which she raised, was when it was suggested to bring in the lions and tigers, etc. She said it was not safe to bring wild beasts into the palace, and that she would rather not see this part of the performance. The proprietor of the circus, however, brought in a small baby elephant which performed several clever tricks. This delighted Her Majesty more than anything else. And when the proprietor saw how pleased she was, he offered the elephant as a present, which she accepted. However, after the performance was over, we tried to make him go through his tricks again, but he would not budge an inch. So we had to give it up as a bad job and send him away to be placed along with the other elephants belonging to the palace. Altogether, there were three performances given by the circus, and before the final performance, the circus manager told me that he would very much like to show the lions and tigers there was no chance of any accident, and it really would be worth seeing. So after a lot of discussion, Her Majesty finally consented to allow them to be brought in, but on the distinct understanding that they should not be let out of their cages. When they were brought in the ring, all the eunuchs gathered around Her Majesty, and after remaining in the ring for a few minutes, Her Majesty ordered them to be taken away again. She said, I'm not afraid for myself, but uh, they might get loose and hurt some of the people. This item finished the whole of the performance, and the circus departed richer by some 10,000 tails, which Her Majesty had ordered to be given to them. 
For the next couple of days, we discussed the merits of the circus, but afterwards, Her Majesty, which referring to the subject, expressed a great disappointment with the whole thing. She said she had expected something entirely different and far more wonderful. This was another characteristics of Her Majesty. Nothing pleased her for more than five minutes at a time. She said to me, I don't see anything at all wonderful in foreign accomplishments. Take, for instance, this portrait which this lady is painting. I don't think it is going to be at all a good picture. It seems so rough. Her Majesty did not understand oil painting. Then again, why should she always want to have the things before her while painting them? An ordinary Chinese artist could paint my dress, shoes, etc. after seeing things once. She cannot be very much of an artist, in my opinion, though you need not tell her that I said so. Continuing, Her Majesty said, By the way, What do you talk about when you are posing for this portrait of mine? Although I don't understand what she is saying, still I can see that she has a lot to say. Be sure not to tell her anything connected with the court life and do not teach her any Chinese. I hear that she often asks what different things are called in Chinese, but don't tell her. The less she knows, the better for us. I can see that she has seen Nothing of our ordinary court life as yet. I wonder what she would say if she were to see one of the eunuchs being punished or anything like that. She would think that we were savages, I suppose. I noticed the other day when I was angry that you took this lady artist away. This was very wise of you. It is better that she should not see me in a temper. She might talk about it afterwards. I wish this portrait was finished. The cool weather is coming on, and uh, we have to open up the boxes and get our winter clothes ready. You girls need winter clothes, I know, as you have none but foreign dresses. Then again, my birthday is next month, and there will be the usual celebrations. After that, we return to the Sea Palace, and what can we do with this artist? I suppose she will have to go back and stay at the American legation and come to the Sea Palace each day until the work is finished. This will be a lot of trouble as it is not 10 minutes drive as at present, but nearer an hour's drive. And um, even if this can be satisfactorily arranged, what about the Winter Palace in the Forbidden City? Try and get to know how long she expects to be before it is finished. This gave me an opportunity to tell Her Majesty that Miss Carl was just as anxious to get the work finished as she was to have it finished, but explained that Miss Carl had very little time to paint as Her Majesty could spare very little time to give personal sittings. And again, when Her Majesty went to lie down each afternoon, Miss Carl had to stop painting as she was working in the next room to Her Majesty's bedroom. Ever wondered what sets China apart from the rest of the world? Do you want to know how China really works? How is China of the past different from the present? Get all the answers to your questions by visiting China Plus Audiobooks. 
Access a whole new world of audiobooks on our website at chinaplus.cri.cn slash podcast. Explore the philosophy, spirit, and story of the Chinese people. Her Majesty replied, Well, if she expects me to sit for her all day long, I would give up the whole thing at once. And then added, I think you yourself are getting tired of sitting and want me to take it up again, but I have already had quite enough of it. Of course, I told her that instead of being tired of it, I enjoyed sitting on her throne, which I regarded as a great honor. I explained to Her Majesty that Miss Carroll did not like me to pose in her place, as she could not get along so quickly as if she were to sit herself. But she simply said that I was acting under her commands and that should be sufficient for me. For the next 10 days, we were kept very busy selecting materials for winter clothing and also official robes for my sister and myself to be worn during the forthcoming birthday celebrations. These dresses were full winter court dresses of red satin embroidered with golden dragons and blue clouds and were trimmed with gold braid and lined with gray squirrel. The cuffs and collars, which were turned down, were of sable. While Her Majesty was giving one of the eunuchs instructions as to how these were to be made, the young empress beckoned to me and I went out. She said, You go and counter to Her Majesty, as it is a great favor for her to give you a dress trimmed with sable. This is usually only worn by a princess. So when I returned to the room, I availed myself of the first opportunity to kowtow and thank Her Majesty for the great favor she had granted me. She answered, You deserve it, and I see no reason why you should not be treated as a princess anyway. Many of the princesses are not of the imperial family. Any title may be bestowed for special service rendered to the country, and you have been of more help to me than any other court lady I have ever had. And I can see that you are faithful in the discharge of your duties. You may think I do not notice these things, but I do. You are certainly entitled to be ranked as a princess. And in fact, I never treat you different from the princesses, but rather better in many ways. Turning to a eunuch, she said, bring my fur cap here. This cap was made of sable, trimmed with pearls and jade, and Her Majesty explained that our caps would be something after the same style, except that the crown, instead of being yellow as in the case of Her Majesty's cap, would be red. I was naturally delighted. In addition to the cap and full court dress, Her Majesty had two ordinary dresses made for everyday wear, one lined with sheepskin and the other lined with grey squirrel. Then she gave us four other dresses of finer material, lined with black and white fox skin and all trimmed with gold braid and embroidered ribbons. In addition, there were two other dresses, one of a pale pink color, embroidered with 100 butterflies, and the other of a reddish color, embroidered with green bamboo leaves. 
Several short jackets, also lined with fur, were also included in Her Majesty's present, and several sleeveless jackets went to complete the lot. On coming out of the room, one of the court ladies remarked that I was very lucky to receive so many clothes from Her Majesty and said that she had never received so many during the whole time she had been at the palace, nearly 10 years. I could see she was jealous. The young empress, overhearing this conversation, joined us and told her that when I arrived at the palace, I had nothing but foreign clothes, and how was I to manage if Her Majesty did not get me the proper dresses? This incident was the beginning of another unpleasant time for me with the ladies of the court. At first, I took no notice until one day one of the girls attached to the palace joined in the unkind remarks. She said that before my arrival, she had been Her Majesty's particular favorite, but I made her understand that she had no right to discuss me in any way whatsoever. The young empress, who was present, spoke to them about their treatment of me and said that some fine day I would be telling Her Majesty about it. This seemed to have a good effect, for they never troubled me much afterwards with their talk. And that was from the 15th chapter of Two Years in the Forbidden City, written by Princess Sterling and narrated by Man Ling. Join us next time on A Light on Literature for the 16th chapter.
wondered what sets China apart from the rest of the world? Do you want to know how China really works? How is China of the past different from the present? Get all the answers to your questions by visiting China Plus Audiobooks. Access a whole new world of audiobooks on our website at chinaplus.cri.cn slash podcast. Explore the philosophy, spirit, and story of the Chinese people.